Well, I have a question for you this morning, and it is this. How many of you go grocery shopping in your family? How many of you are the, the food shoppers? Okay, how many of you wish that the person next to you was the food shopper? All right. Now, when you go shopping, when you go shopping, I want you to think about this. Which brands you buy? For example, and this is an interactive service, all right? So we're going to work together, boys, girls, moms, dads. Um, what brand of coffee do you buy? Anybody? What brand of coffee? Folgers. Best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Okay, who, who else? What other coffee? Okay. Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. How many Dunkin' fans? All right. Starbucks. I mean, it's all kinds of coffee, right? How many of you typically buy the same brand week after week after week? Okay. What about this? Um, what kind of soup do you shoppers buy? What's your favorite soup? Campbell's. Is there any other kind? Yes, there is. <laughs> Progresso soup. Yeah, there's all kinds of soup. Um, what about this? Peanut butter. Jiffy. Okay. Any other peanut butter brands you guys like to eat? Peter Pan. All right, good. And, and here's, here's the last one. Tuna fish. What kind of? Bumblebee, tuna fish, whatever's on sale. Okay. Now, here's, here's my point. When you're buying a product, the name of the product or the company who makes that product is important because advertisers want you to know that that is a name you can trust. Now, people's names are important too, and that's especially true in the Bible. Take a look at your outline. Very important statement here. It says, in the Bible, a person's name reveals their character. God revealed his name to people in the Bible, and here's the reason, so they would know him, love him, and trust him. The Bible gives us a number of names and titles for Jesus, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Boys and girls, that's what's on this sheet right here. We're going to walk through seven different names and titles of Jesus this morning, and notice what it says here. These names reveal something about who Jesus is and what he came to do. These names and titles are a way to get to know Jesus so that we can love and trust him more. So are you ready? We're going to go on a little adventure this morning together. Here is the first title of Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega. Look at this verse in the last book of the Bible. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, some of you may know the first letter of the Greek alphabet. What is it, do you think? Yeah, good guess. Alpha. What's the last letter of the Greek alphabet? Omega. Boys and girls, what's the first letter of the English alphabet? A, B, C, D. Okay. And what's the last letter of our alphabet? Z. So in a way, it's like saying Jesus is the A to the Z. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus always was and always will be. It means that he is eternal, that he's always existed. In fact, his closest friend John wrote this in his story of Jesus' life. It's John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Now listen, if you don't know the answer to a question this morning, chances are it's going to be Jesus. Not, it's not going to be you every time, but most of the time. So, who is the Word, church? It is Jesus. And what John tells us as he continues his story is that everything that was made was made through Jesus Christ. He is God's agent of creation. Because remember, there's one God, but three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So that means that Jesus is actually in the very first verse of the Bible. Now, 
Who can tell me what the first verse of the Bible is? Genesis 1, 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's talking about Jesus. Because it was through Jesus that all things were made. Now, who knows the last verse in the Bible? All right, let me make it a little bit easier. Who knows the last book in the Bible? The book of Revelation. The last verse is in chapter 22, verse 21, and it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So think about it. Jesus is found in the first verse of the Bible and in the last verse of the Bible. Why? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the A to Z. And there's a great verse in the book of Hebrews that says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our what? Of our faith. So Jesus is the one who gives us faith and the one who helps us persevere with faith till we reach the end of our lives and get home to heaven. So Jesus is what? He's the Alpha and the Omega. Now here's another title for Jesus. This is the second one. Jesus is the King of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. Look at this verse. It's from the Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi. Who are Magi? Who knows? The wise men are also called Magi. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So from the time he is born, this little baby is a king. King Jesus, king, king of the Jews. And then they, this statement by the wise men, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, now kids, let me ask you this. What would you expect a good king to do? If you're a good king, what are some things you would do? If you can tell me. Adults, you can chime in here too. What, what, what would a good king do? Okay, take care of the people. Okay, what else? Protect people. That's exactly what a good king would do. What else would a good king do? What's that? Make laws? Good, good. He would be a strong leader. He would really care about people. Now, what would a bad king do? Yeah, just the opposite, right? Of all those good things. Now, is there a, boys and girls, is there a bad king in the Christmas story? Yes, there is. And what is his name? King Herod. King Herod. Is there a good king in the Christmas story? Who's the good king, kids? Yeah, King Jesus. In fact, he is a righteous king, a perfect king. Now think about this. Did, did Jesus have any brothers and sisters? The Bible actually tells us, this is in the end of Matthew 13, um, four of the names of Jesus' brothers, and it says that he also had sisters too. Now, let me ask you, kids, do you think growing up that Jesus was ever mean to his brothers and sisters? Did he ever pull their hair? Did he, did, he ever, did he ever tell his mom or dad a lie? What do you think? No, he was perfect. Now, can you imagine how hard it would be to grow up in a family where your older brother was perfect? But that was true of Jesus. He lived a perfect life. And this righteous king, who's called the king of the Jews from the time he was born, he grows up and he leaves home and he starts preaching and he says, you know what, I'm a king and I've come to establish a what? What do kings have? kingdoms the kingdom of God and this is what surprised everybody they thought that Jesus was going to be this really strong powerful conquering king and he was going to just you know kick the Romans out he was going to get rid of the soldiers that occupied Israel but they didn't realize that Jesus as a king had come to suffer for his people now think about some of the ways that Jesus suffered did he ever suffer physically does Jesus know pain physical pain well of course he does 
We know the story of when he was arrested and beaten and crucified. So what does that tell us? It means that when we suffer physically, Jesus understands. Now some of you right now may be having some, some medical issues or pain or you know somebody who does. Jesus gets that. He understands. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever suffer emotionally? Did he ever have people say really mean things to him? He had a friend who betrayed him, a friend who denied him. If you've ever been through that kind of relational pain, Jesus knows. He understands. And what about the spiritual suffering of Jesus? You know, when he was dying, his father turned his back on him because God had placed our sin on Jesus. So Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. But here's the good news. He's more than just a righteous king or a suffering king. He is a victorious king. Now, how many of you have ever watched a football game? Okay, how many of you have ever seen your team score a touchdown? Okay, what do you do when your team scores a touchdown? That was nice. What do you do? Yeah, you cheer, you celebrate. Why? Because, well, that's your team, right? And, and if they win the game, what do you do? Man, you really cheer because their victory is your victory. Do you see if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that his victory, and remember that Jesus was killed. He died on a cross, but three days later, what happened? He defeated death. He won this incredible victory, and if you're a Christian this morning, you share in his victory. In fact, every Sunday morning, we gather in this place, and it's a victory celebration. Do you realize that? Why do we worship on Sunday morning? Because most people don't have to work? I mean, what is the reason? Who knows? Because of the resurrection, exactly. Because the Jewish people used to worship on Saturday, and in the first century, they changed that, these Jewish believers that became followers of Christ, because that was the day that Jesus won a victory and they wanted to join in the victory celebration. So every Sunday that we come to this place, we need to celebrate the victory that we have in Christ because he is what? What is his title there? He is the, you can look at your paper, what is it? King of the Jews. But here's the thing, the Jewish people thought, hey, God's gonna send us a king for our nation. But you know what God did? He sent a king for all the nations of the world. King Jesus. Okay, quick review. What's the first title of Jesus? You can look. Alpha and Omega. What's number two? King of the Jews. And you may have realized this. There are seven titles, and that's intentional, one for every day of the week, so that you can go over this with your family. All right, here's the third one. Are you ready? Jesus is the bread of life. Now, Jesus himself said this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoa, what did Jesus mean when he said that? Here's an interesting sign that was on a church, rather blunt. I have a question for you, kids. Where was Jesus born? What's the name of the town? Who can tell me? Just shout it out. What is it? Bethlehem. Does anybody know what the word Bethlehem means in the Hebrew language? What does it mean? Does anybody know? House of bread. Isn't that interesting? That the one who claimed to be the bread of life is born in the city that means house of bread? And when people heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life, they were probably thinking about a story in the Old Testament because there's a time when God is setting his people free from slavery in Egypt and they go through the desert and they're really hungry and God gives them the special food that falls from heaven. And what's it called? Manna. And they start getting tired because it's manna every single day. It's manna waffles and manna bagels and manna cotti and manna bread. 
And do you know what the word manna means? What is it? The Israelites go, God, what is it? We've never seen food like this. Sometimes kids say that to mom when she puts dinner out. Mom, what is it? Husbands usually are a little wiser than to ask that question. But Jesus here, as he says, I am the bread of life, is not just talking about physical food. He's talking about something much more profound. He's talking about food for our, what? Our souls. And you may recall that there's a time where Jesus is in the wilderness, and this is before he launches his public mission. He's being tempted by Satan. And Satan is trying to keep Jesus from pursuing the mission that God has for him. He's trying to get Jesus to shortcut his suffering. And Jesus has been in the desert for how long? Does anybody know what period of time? 40 days. And he hasn't eaten for 40 days. Now imagine what that would be like. That would mean like if you stopped eating now and you didn't eat again until February sometime. That's remarkable, isn't it? So do you think Jesus was hungry? Absolutely. And Satan says, listen, Jesus, you don't have to suffer hunger. Take these stones and make them into bread. And you know what Jesus says? He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what's Jesus talking about? The fact that we need bread for our bodies, but we also need bread for our souls. Now let me ask you this. How often do you get hungry? How often, do, kids, how often do you get hungry? All the time. All right, at least several times a day, right? What, what do you do when you get hungry? Yes, you eat. It's just natural, right? What do you do when your soul is hungry? When you're hungry for hope or encouragement or strength or wisdom? See, there's food here in God's word. You might say this is the original soul food. And it really is. It is food for our souls that God has given us to eat. And it comes through Jesus. So Jesus is the bread of life. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Let's rewind, because I want you to get these in your head and in your heart. What's the first title of Jesus? Alpha and Omega. What's number two? King of the Jews. What's number three? Bread of life. And now we're going on to number four. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Spanish, it goes like this. El buen pastor da su vida por las ovejas. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, boys and girls, here's a question. What does a good shepherd do? What does a good shepherd do? If you were a good shepherd, what would you do for your sheep? Okay, you want to protect them because there could be wild animals, right? Remember the story in the Old Testament when, when King David, before he was a king, he was what? What did he do? He was a shepherd, and he was taking care of his dad's sheep, and there was a lion and a bear that tried to attack him. So what did he do? Did he run? No, he fought the lion and he fought the bear, because that's what a good shepherd does. So a good, good shepherd protects the sheep. What else does a good shepherd do? Well, do sheep get hungry? Yeah, so what does a shepherd have to do? He has to feed them. Um, he has to guide them. Does sheep ever get lost? So what would a good shepherd do? Yeah, remember the story Jesus told about the shepherd that had... 100 sheep, and one got lost, so what did he do? Ah, you know, I got 99 left. No big deal. What does he do? He goes and searches and rescues that one lost sheep. Now, the Bible compares people to sheep, and I want you to think about this for just a couple of minutes. What are some of the characteristics of sheep? What do you know about sheep? Who can tell me? 
What's that? They get lost. Yes, they wander away and they get lost. And when they get lost, they have no homing instinct. Like a dog or a cat, they can't find their way home. So unless somebody goes and finds them, they're going to die. What are some other characteristics of sheep? What do you know about sheep? Okay, do sheep, boys and girls, do sheep have big fangs? Do they have sharp claws? No. So they can't protect themselves very well, right? What about this? Um, if one sheep walks off a cliff, what will happen to the sheep behind him? Yeah, he'll follow him right off the cliff. I mean, it's just amazing. And you know, in first service, I said, you know, what are the characteristics, what are the characteristics of sheep? And one person in the front row said, they're stupid. Kind of sums it up, you know. Sheep are kind of dumb. And we were talking first service. This is interesting. You know the 23rd Psalm? And this is a psalm where King David is talking about God being his shepherd. And he says this, you anoint my head with oil. And a lot of people think, well, that's a reference to when, you know, he was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But there's more to it because you know what shepherds would do with their sheep? They would actually take this special oil and rub it on their faces, on their little snouts. And that's because sheep will stick their noses into rocks and crevices where snakes live, and the snakes will bite them right in the nose. And so this oil, the, the snakes hate the smell of this oil, and the sheep are protected because their head is anointed with oil. Now, people never stick their noses where they shouldn't be, so we don't have to worry about that. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus, Jesus is a good shepherd, isn't he? And he says this. Look at this verse again. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. You know, back in the first century, being a shepherd was a very dangerous job. And shepherds actually died taking care of their sheep. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd because I'm going to lay down my life for you. Okay, quick review. Number one, first title, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Number two, he is the King of the Jews. Number three, he is bread of life. Number four, good shepherd. And here's number five, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. Look at this verse. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, that's Jesus' cousin. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God? First of all, how many of you have ever heard that title of Jesus, that he's the Lamb of God? Now, it takes us back to an event that takes place in the Old Testament, an event called Passover. How many of you are familiar with Passover? Remember, God's people are slaves in Egypt, and God comes to Moses and said, listen, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and you give him this message, let my people go so they may worship me on my mountain. And of course, Moses delivers this message, and Pharaoh is hard-headed and hard-hearted, and so God sends these plagues. Now, who remembers any of the plagues that fell on Egypt? Hail was one, frogs, locusts. Okay, all kind, though they turned, the Nile River was turned into blood. There's all these different plagues. And then there is one last plague that falls on the nation of Egypt. It's a plague where the firstborn in each family will die unless something happens, unless the blood of a lamb is put on the doorpost of the house. And if that happens, then God will pass over that house. And that family will be spared God's judgment. And that's what it means to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
His blood is spilt on the cross. And when we put our faith in Jesus, his blood protects us from the judgment of God that we deserve. So Jesus is the lamb who protects us and restores our relationship with God. And this is really interesting too. When, when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, and this is the week before he dies, it is at that very time that the Jewish nation are selecting the lambs they'll use for Passover. And it's as if God is saying, here's my lamb, here's my son, choose him to be your Passover lamb. Okay, let's go back. First title is, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. What's number two? King of the Jews. What's number three? Good. What's the next one? Good. Next. And here is number six. It's one of my favorite titles of Jesus. He is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. Look at this verse. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Now, when you hear the word lion, what movies do you think of? Lion King. Who's seen the Lion King? Who's seen the Lion King more than a dozen times? Okay. What's another movie you think of? This is really old school. It's got um, Dorothy and, and Toto. Yes. Very good, George. The Wizard of Oz. And there's a lion in The Wizard of Oz. And what's he looking for? Why is he going to see the wizard? courage he wants courage exactly because lions are supposed to be what courageous they're the king of beasts after all one of my favorite lion movies is based on a book written by c.s lewis it's called the lion the witch and the wardrobe how many of you have seen that movie and, and there's a, a lion in that series what's his name who knows aslan and he's a christ figure and there's a, a line in the book that i just love and it says aslan is on the move Jesus is on the move. Now, think about this. Um, what is a tribe? Let's go back to this verse here. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. A tribe is like a, an extended family. In the nation of Israel, there were a certain number of, of tribes. Does anybody know how many tribes there were? Twelve tribes. Now, you might say that, you know, our church family is like a tribe because we're all connected by faith in Jesus. And uh, you might say, well, I'm from the tribe of BBCC. But people found a lot of identity in their tribe. And so it says here, the lion from the tribe of Judah. So Judah was one of the tribes. And King David was from the tribe of Judah. And Mary and Joseph were from the tribe of Judah. So Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne. Isn't that incredible? Now let me go back to the picture of the lion. I love this picture. It's a great picture. Lions are courageous and lions are powerful now think about this how did jesus display his power what are some ways that jesus showed us his power when he was here can you think of some okay that's yeah he, he had a friend named lazarus some of you know the story in john chapter 11 and lazarus had been dead for four days and they rolled away the stone and jesus said lazarus come out and what happened? He did. Can you imagine seeing that happen? Jesus had power over death. What else did he have power over? Okay, sickness. Yeah, Jesus could just look at somebody and say, hey, stand up and walk. And somebody who'd been paralyzed their entire life could just stand up. He could touch the eyes of the blind and heal them. He had incredible power over disease. What else did he have power over? Yeah, demons, exactly. So Jesus had this incredible power 
He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. All right, and here's the last thing, the last title of Jesus. Well, let's go back to the beginning because I want you to get them. Ready? Here's number one. He is the Alpha and Omega. What's number two? King of the Jews. Number three? Number four? Number five? Number six? And here's the last one. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. This is what Jesus said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I remember reading a story about this little boy. He was in a, a Christmas play at his church, and he had one line, and the line was, Jesus is the light of the world. That's all he had to say. And so it comes the time for the performance, and he is petrified and he's standing on stage, and he doesn't know what to say, and he's, he's just kind of frozen there. His mom is on the front row, and his mom whispers, I am the light of the world. And he still doesn't move, and so she whispers a little bit louder, I am the light of the world. And she tries it one more time, I am the light of the world. And finally, the little boy stands up straight, puts his shoulders back, and in a loud voice says, my mother is the light of the world. Oh, my goodness. Let me ask you this. Kids, have you ever been in a really dark place where you couldn't see? How does that feel when you're, like, in total darkness? How does that make you feel inside? Kind of scary, isn't it? Because you could get hurt. You could get lost. Jesus comes into this world as the light of the world. He comes into a, a dark place to shine the light of God's love. And you know, at Christmas time, sometimes people get sad. Kids, have you noticed that? Sometimes people are sad at Christmas time. Sometimes it's because they miss people they, they really care about. Um, sometimes there's other things, other memories that might make them sad. But into the sadness comes Jesus, the light of the world. And every time you see a Christmas light, see all the Christmas lights around us? We can remember what? That Jesus is who? He is the light of the world. Now, I just want to wrap things up this morning with this thought. In fact, kids, if you'll take your sheet, it looks like this, and thanks again to Ms. Donna for doing this. Um, the verse of the week, it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be, what's the last word? Saved. Now, the name Jesus means God saves. God saves. The angel said to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now there is a symbol of Christianity that's been around for thousands of years. It's a symbol of the fish. How many of you are familiar with the fish? Now in the Greek word, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. And there are certain letters, it's really an acrostic, that form the word fish that tell us the identity of Jesus. Jesus Christ God's Son, Savior. That's what those letters stand for. Let me read you a real brief story. It goes like this. An honest man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him, but he did the right thing, stopping at the sidewalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman hit the roof and then the horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. 
The officer ordered her to exit her with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was fingerprinted, photographed, and then placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, the policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for this mistake. You see, I pull it behind your car while you were blowing your horn and cursing a blue streak at him. I, I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So I naturally assumed that the car was stolen. Cautionary tale. Church, I want to do this as we wrap up this year. Last Sunday in 2015. And it's what I want to do every single Sunday. I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. And this is what I want to challenge you to do in this new year. And I want to challenge us to do this as individuals, as families, and as a church. You know the story about the lady that I just shared? I want us to represent Jesus well. To represent Jesus well. To show his love and his compassion and his concern for every person that he places in our lives. To tell people the hope that we have. Because that's what the Bible says. Always be prepared to give a reason to anyone who asks for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's what I want us to do together in this year. That's my challenge. But here is my encouragement to you as well as we enter a new year. And it has to do with remembering who we are as followers of Christ, who we are because Jesus is our Savior. And here's what I want you to remember. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you and for me. And what that means is when you put your faith in Christ, you are totally accepted by God. You can't do anything to earn God's favor. You can't do anything to make him love you any more or any less than he does right now. And here's what that means. You have nothing to prove. Do you realize that? When it comes to your relationship with God, you have nothing to prove to him. Jesus has already proven it. And here's the second thing. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could let go of our guilt and regret and shame. That means if you're a Christian, if Jesus is your savior, you are completely forgiven. And that means you have nothing to hide. God knows everything about you. And here's the last thing. You are eternally loved. In fact, the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That means you have nothing to fear. And my prayer, and I was, I was up early this morning, and I was praying this for each one of us, that in this new year, that that would be our, our goal, that we would, as a church, understand that, that we are a people who have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and church, nothing to fear. Because Jesus is our Savior. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible truth that is. That because of our Savior that, God, we are totally accepted and completely forgiven and, and dearly loved. That is, is true, God. We have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. And Lord, I pray that that would give us a, a confidence and a courage and a boldness to live out this faith that we have in Christ. Lord, I thank you looking back for all you've done in and through our church. And Lord, I'm excited as we move into a new year. God, I know this, that you're gonna lead us and guide us and that you're gonna do things that will truly amaze us as we trust Jesus and follow him. So Lord, help us to do that. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.